Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. It is a new year. It's, uh, you know how I always know it's a new year? I always know it's a new year because the gym is full of people with New Year's resolutions. <laughs> full of them. I always find that in January, I have to wait for a machine that's always free in June. In June, it's, I don't know, there's no line, but in, but in January, everyone is making decisions. People are making plans. I don't know what it is about the changing of the year that, that changes everything and the goals that people have, but people make goals and plans and all the rest of it. One of the things that I always laugh at, and, and it's okay, you can, you can judge me for this, but one of the things that I always laugh at is, is the fact that at the beginning of the year, people always get journals. I don't know why it is. I don't know why people get journals. I mean, uh, there are, is it Kiki K? They're probably selling out of journals, but I'm telling you right now, come February, no one even knows where they are. They filled it in for the first few weeks and people don't even use it. And I normally laugh at that, but I'm telling you right now, for the first time in like nearly ever, I'll be honest, I bought myself a journal. And I realized that, you know, so often I take notes, but I find that on my, when it's electronic, I don't know if you do this, but when it's electronic, I don't go back and read over the notes that I'd written. Uh, written, I feel there's something nice about a, a, about a book. So what I'm actually going to use is a pen. And people used to use these in the olden days. And, and, and you would write with one of these things and, uh, and you can read it a- on paper. And I'm going to use some paper because I thought that that would be a good idea. I can flick back and see what God has you know, been doing over uh, this year. And, and uh, I just like to look at what God's done over a space of time. I'll tell you another thing that we decided to do as a family is that we changed a little bit about the way that we eat, okay? So um, I watched a movie recently called That Sugar Movie. Has anybody seen it? No, it's called That Sugar Movie, right? And when I watched it, it absolutely changed my mind about what I think about sugar and really, as soon as I'd watched that movie, I honestly felt like sugar was a drug and, and uh, that we had been feeding to our kids for many years. In fact, right after I watched the movie, I was like, we need to, we, we, we've got drugs in the house, we need to get rid of this, you know? And so I was, I was like taking lollies and like flushing them down the toilets. No, that's not true. But, but I, I, I cleared the house of a lot of the uh, sugar and stuff that we had, except for peanut M&Ms, because you would never throw those away. But apart from that, I, I've been getting rid uh, of all the sugar because because to be honest, what I heard was so compelling. And every now and then, you hear a message that completely changes your life. And I'll tell you something about me. I heard a message when I was a kid that completely changed my life. And it's actually just the gospel message. It totally changed my life. I remember listening to it as a kid. And just the the idea that God would love me so much that he would send his son who would die on the cross for me and forgive me for my sins and all the wrong things that I did, that that message captivated me and, and it changed my life. I would love to be able to tell you tonight that it changed my life forever. But that is not true. In fact, it changed my life till I was probably about 10 years old. 
And then step by step, I began to walk away from God. And by the time I was 12 years old, I really wanted nothing to do with God. And then for, for you know, nine, nearly 10 years, I was just so distant from him. And eventually, I decided to come back to church. And when I did, and, and, and that first time that I walked back into church, I'll tell you the truth, I felt so uncomfortable. I felt so uncomfortable being back in a church for the first time. And the reason that I felt uncomfortable was I had remembered a lot of the facts about Christianity. I remembered a lot of the facts, but I had completely forgotten the message. Just remembered the facts. And if I think back about the facts, I walked back into church that day thinking to myself, all right, so what do I know and what do I remember to be true about this? Well, all right, so Jesus died on the cross and I remember that and, and, uh, and, and he came and he was God and I, I remember that and, and that really is just information, but it wasn't life transforming for me because I forgot the message. I only remembered the facts. And when you remember the message, you remember that it's actually a message of grace because the facts in isolation of the message don't necessarily compel anyone to make a life-transforming change. And for me, I thought that the way that I would get closer to God was just by being good. So the first time I walked back into church, honestly, I walked in, I looked around, and this was my thought process. You can laugh at me later, right? I thought, this is a place for good people, and I'm a bad person. And I thought that because they were far more spiritual than me, it would stand out. And so there I was, uh, everyone else is good and, and I'm bad. And now that I'm a pastor, I realize something about church is that it's not a place for good people and it's not a place for bad people. Church is just a place for people to know God. And it really doesn't matter who you are and your background and where you've come from and what you've done with your life. The truth is that church is just a place for people to come and find and meet God. But I had forgotten that. And I believed something that wasn't true. I believed that it was what I did that brought me closer to God. I had forgotten that works don't work. Works don't work and it's a really bad system to live by. I mean, think about it. If you just play that scenario out and you think about, if the idea in your head is that, you know, God loves you when you behave more, or you, the more things that you do, the more he'll accept you. I mean, think about how that works out by the end of your life. Let's just fast track it's at the end of your life, you're about to meet your maker, and if you have to stop and think back and add up, oh, how many good things did I do? Will God be pleased with me when I get to heaven? First of all, you'll have no idea. You probably have done more bad things than good, and you'll probably start to be a little bit freaked out because you're about to, to meet God. That's just a bad way to have a relationship with God. Honestly, it's like, you know, sometimes I come home from work, and I, and I walk into the house, and I've been at work all day having work conversations with adults, and my wife has been at home all day having kids' conversations with kids. And I walk into the house, and I, I say, hey, how was how your day? How is everything going? And she'll look at me sometime, and she'll say, it's fine. You're dealing with them now. 
Now, when she says that, she's not fine, right? I know that she's not fine. I know that everything's not okay, but I don't even know all the time why she's mad. And so I start to think back. I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I do last night? I have to think about it. Did I forget something? I hope it's not our anniversary. Like, what is it that I have forgotten? Is she mad at me? And you think that's a pretty bad way to live. But imagine if that was your relationship with God all of the time. You know, where you just never knew where you stood. You just never knew if, if, if God was mad with you or if he was actually going to be okay with you and, and where you're at. And if you're new to church and, and, and you're here today for the first time, and I'm so glad that you are here. And I've got to tell you something. Really, pretty much for the rest of this message, you guys are off the hook because mostly what I want to do today is just to talk to Christian people. But it's a great message for you to be here and to listen into. Here's what I would say to anybody today that is, in fact, a, a not a Christian or maybe in church for the first time in a long time. God doesn't love you more when you behave better. He doesn't love you more when you behave better. That's not how a relationship with God works. And if you actually take the Bible and you were to read this thing cover to cover, the one thing that you would continue to walk away with is that God just keeps finding new ways to forgive people because ultimately he loves people. And one of the best ways he found to, get, to forgive people was to send Jesus Christ to come and pay the penalty for people's sins since we couldn't be perfect on our own. We call that message the gospel message and it is the great leveler of the human race. The great leveler of the human race. Because one of the things that we understand about God is, is that before him, everyone has made mistakes. So it's not about whether you've been really good that gets you close to God or whether you've been really bad that gets you close to God. And by the way, good or bad is a completely subjective idea in the first place. No, that's actually not how any of that works. We are all saved by the same grace. It is the same grace that forgives each and every one of us. And one of my favorite passages of scripture is a very well-known verse, and it comes out of John 3.16, and it says this, The God loved the world. He so loved the world that he gave his only son, and whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. It goes on to say that Jesus was not sent into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world would be saved by him. And I believe that that is the most important message the world could ever hear. I'm going to say that again. That is the most important message the world could ever hear. It is a simple message. It is a profound message. It's very clear. There's no secrets. There's no hierarchy. There's nothing hidden. It's just a simple message that God loves people and he has saved people. And that message changes people's life. And when that message changes people's life, we often call that ministry. And I wanted to take the time tonight to share a message with you that I would just call ministry. And so I want to share a passage of scripture with you. This comes out of 2 Corinthians. I'm going to begin in chapter 5 and verse 16. 
And as I read this, just to give you by way of introduction, just to let you know, Paul is about to make a very important point about people who have been changed and transformed by God. He says this, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. So when it says the flesh, just to let you know, that's often how the Bible refers to people in their sinful state before they have a relationship with God. He says, well, we're not going to refer to people like that anymore. Even though we once regarded, yes, even Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, not from you. You didn't do this. You didn't earn this. This is what God did for you. All of this that I'm talking about is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. And here's what it is not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. I remember um, many years ago, I didn't always work in church, okay? So I used to work as a recruitment consultant, and um, I quit my job to come work full-time at the church as a pastor. And uh, the, the day that I quit, I mean, the information kind of spread quickly. And so I went to people and, and they said, hey, we heard that you've resigned today. I said, yeah. They said, well, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm actually leaving to be a pastor. They are so disconnected from the idea of church, ministry, pastoring, all the rest of it. They, they actually misheard what I said. And they thought I said that I was leaving church to become a master. And I like that. And I don't even know what that means, but I really like that. I thought about changing it on my business card, Master Ben Fagland. But I, I, anyway, so, so I, I quite like that, but they had no idea. I said, no, 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 no. I'm looking to become a pastor. They were like, spaghetti? I'm like, no. They have no idea what I'm talking about. No idea. I said, no, 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 no. I'm going to lead like, or, or, or pastor or be a part of a church. And they're like, ah, and it was like at this moment that they thought back to some kind of kids program that they went to in church that their parents forced them to go to. And, and, and they pieced a few bits and pieces together and they said, ah, you're talking about the ministry. The ministry. The ministry. And I thought, yeah. What's the ministry? The ministry. What, I mean, what is that? You know, it's funny because when you ask people what the ministry is, I think they think it's coffee. I think they think that what pastors do is they get to sit around and we just talk and we drink coffee, we sip on lattes. And the best thing about being a pastor, we only work on Sundays. It's like one day a week. This job is a piece of cake. Well, let me tell you, none of that is true. And I wish 
that it was true because it sounds pretty easy, but that's not exactly how it works. But what these people had confused, they had confused my employment with ministry. But you don't need to be employed to do ministry. In fact, ministry is not a job. It is certainly not my job. No, it's not my job to do ministry. In fact, if we were going to be honest, what would be my job? You could read it in the Bible, and I figured since we're in church, let's get biblical. So this is what it is. My job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So if I'm doing the equipping, who's doing the ministry? You. You are doing the ministry. I'm, I'm equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. But the thing is, is that even though I'm equipping people to do ministry, come on, of course, I understand at the same time that ministry is supposed to be something that I do as well. And if you look up the word ministry, do you know what it means? It means service. And when it comes to doing ministry as a Christian, your service is towards God and people. And I thought, you don't need to work at a church to do that. You don't need to work at a church to do ministry. You can do ministry from wherever you are in what you are doing. Do you know ministry wasn't something that existed after Jesus walked on the planet? People always had ministries. In fact, let's be honest, like a couple of chapters before the one that I read tonight, Paul talks about Moses and he has a ministry, except they called it the ministry of death and condemnation. He wouldn't get a lot of speaking invitations at, around today at churches, but this was his ministry. You know why? Because his ministry was designed to teach people a very important lesson which was that they could not make it to God on their own, that all of their behavior wouldn't be enough. See, he had a a, a ministry where he provided the law for people to follow, 613 commandments. And if you break one, it's as if you are guilty of breaking them all. And he discovered, along with everyone else, that you know what? Works don't work. You can't get close to God because works don't work. It's not going to be your behavior that takes you there. Now, I know this. And you know this. And God always knew this. Which is why he always planned to send Jesus to do what people could not do. He did it for them. And then he says he did something for us. And he uses a word, and the word is reconciliation. And that word means to restore favor to people. In other words, to restore favor to people because we'd lost it because of what we did and the way that we had acted and behaved. There should be something about your life that shows people that the favor of God is on you. And when Jesus reconciled you, I want to tell you something today that is unimaginably important. When you were reconciled, you were both saved, yes, but also sent because the moment that you became saved, you were called into ministry. At the same time, this is, what, this is why we don't tell people that are thinking about becoming a Christian. We don't tell them that up front because they might not want to you know, become a Christian. I don't want to follow Jesus. I'm called into ministry. I just did this. You know, I just made this decision. But the truth is, is that the moment that you give your life to Jesus, he's calling you in to do something. I think we just read it because your ministry is just a simple message. 
I mean, come on, Paul even wrote about it twice. He wanted to make sure that you guys and, and, and me, that none of us could mess it up. So what does he say? He says this, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Now that's the work that he did and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That comes right next. He wanted to make sure that nobody confused it. So he repeats himself in the very next verse. And he says to this, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Yeah, that's what God did. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Giving us that message to give to other people. To just pass it on. I don't know if this ever happens to you, but earlier this week, I stepped, I stepped out of the shower. I realized I had forgotten to put a towel there. That is so disappointing. And so I decided that I would just call for help. And there are, there are another four people that live in the house, so surely one of them can help me. So I opened the door, and I, I just called out for someone. And my daughter, Eliana, who's three, she came to the door. I said, Hey, sweetheart. I said, Daddy has a very important message, and I need you to pass this on. Could you let mum know that dad does not have a towel? And she said, yeah. I said, you're beautiful. Off you go, right? So off she goes. About five minutes later, I'm still standing around just wondering what is going on, but I'm not going to make a dash for it. So I'm like, what is going on? It doesn't take five minutes to get a towel. We don't have a house that big. What is going on? So I called out again and my daughter came back to me. This time when she came back, she went, hey dad, I just made this for you. I said, okay, thank you, sweetheart. What is it? She said, it's a whale and I made it for you. I said, that's, that's, that's cute. That's awesome. But did you get me a towel? And she never did. In fact, when I said, did you get me a towel? She honestly looked at me like, we've never even had this conversation, dad. You've never spoken to me about a towel. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. I don't know how, I don't know. First of all, I also know that what you're thinking, this is the best looking whale you've ever seen in your life. Blue for water. I mean, it's got pink in there and it's a very colorful whale. I don't know how she forgot between the, 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 the room that we were in and the very next room to give that message to my wife. I don't know how she forgot it, but here's what I understand. As soon as she walked out, she got busy doing something else. And it wasn't like she was doing nothing. I mean, she was working very hard on this whale, as you can evidently see. She worked hard on it. She was just busy doing the wrong thing. And I've learned that people can be so successful and busy, but turning all of their attention to the wrong things in life. You can succeed in the wrong area. And the reason I mention this is that you should know that your life is an open book test. You already know what God has asked you to do. So you don't really get to be able to say to God, oh, we never knew about it because actually he says, how did you forget between when, when you read it and you walked out into the street? How did you forget it between the seat in church and the car park when you got into your car? I don't understand how you could forget that so quick, but I realize it's very, very easy to do. 
As an open book test, guys, just letting you know straight up, God is going to ask you what you do with this message. Because he's asked everybody to work on this one message. You know, years ago, my son, uh, actually, uh, my whole family, we went out and uh, just down to the shops and we were standing in the food court and my whole family was there. And then in a, in a moment, um, I turned around and my son Isaac, uh, who was very young at the time, he might have been maybe two, um, he just disappeared. And kids do that sometimes. And so I couldn't find him. And my wife turns around and she says, hey, where's, where's Isaac? And I'm like, I have no idea. Like he was here a, a, a minute ago. Now, just to let you know something about me, I, I do not like to make a scene in public, like ever, okay? I'm like, if something goes down, I'm like, it's cool, let's just be cool, like, let's figure it out, we'll talk about this at home, whatever we need to do. I don't like to make a scene in public, you know? But I'm standing there, and I can be pretty cool under pressure, so I look around, I, can, I can't see him, and I think, you know what, he's going to be around here somewhere, so I just start to look. And I figure, he only just went missing, so he's got to be pretty close, so I start looking around within maybe like a 10-meter perimeter. And as I begin to search around and look for him, um, I just can't find him. And so I'm being cool, but I have no idea where he is. And so I start to look around and I start to move a little bit faster because I'm thinking, man, where, where is he? And when you're a parent, and you know, I don't even think you need to be a parent to understand this, but if, when your child goes missing, you start to think about where they could be or what might have happened to them. Like, where are they? And does somebody have them? And like, you know, all of these thoughts start to come into your mind, but I'm on the outside, I'm being cool. So I, I'm looking around and I'm starting to move a little bit faster. And the problem is the longer that you take to find someone, the further they could be going from you, but you don't know if you're headed in the right direction. So if you're headed in the wrong direction, the longer you go, the further they get. So I'm starting to think about this and I start to move a little bit faster. And then I start to ask people, I say, hey, have you seen my son? Because um, he was here a minute ago, but I, we can't find him. And, and he, he's, he's like very small, he's wearing a beanie and he had a green jumper on and have you seen him no i haven't seen him okay no problem hey have you seen my son I, he was here a second ago i can't find him he's wearing a bit no you haven't seen him right i start to move around i start to pick up the pace a little bit because i'm getting really worried it's been about you know maybe eight or nine minutes now we have no idea where he is and i'm hoping that he's not being taken away somewhere i start to uh, uh move faster and, and, and eventually i realize that searching for him like this is not really getting the job done so i start to call out his name. Now I'm just calling out. I'm like, Isaac, you know, where are you? Isaac. And have you seen him? Have you seen my son? No. Isaac, where are you? I'm calling out for him. I'm at the other end of the shopping center calling out. People are looking at me. I don't care. I don't care anymore. I've got more important things to worry about than what these people think of me. So I'm just calling out for him. I get a phone call from my wife. I said, how is everything going? She goes, we've got him. And the moment that she said that, everything that I had been worried about just dissipated. I mean, it just disappeared. It's like it evaporated. And, and suddenly I was like, had peace again in my heart. That day that I found him, that day that we searched for him, that is a picture of what ministry should look like. 
if you want to know what ministry is, it's searching for people that are far and lost and not worrying too much about what the people that are found are really thinking because you're trying to find someone that's lost. You know, the day that we lost him, I was at the shops and I started stopping people where they were. Have you seen my son? And I have no idea what they were doing with their day. But I knew this, that what I had to do was far more important than anything that they were focused on at the time. People might have been at the shops for all kinds of reasons. I have no idea what they were, what they were there for, but I stopped them because what I had to do was far more important than whatever they were doing. And I didn't stop and ask them for their qualifications in search and rescue. If they had eyeballs and a heartbeat, I was interested in their help. I'm like, you'll do. Have you seen him? No. Okay. Have you seen him? No. I just wanted to find people that would help me. I was, I was yelling out. I didn't care what people thought about me. I wasn't worried about that. I was looking for my son. That is a picture of what ministry looks like. And this message, like this message, Your ministry is not an optional extra. It is the main idea. And I don't know, I don't know what you feel called to do in life. I don't know what you feel like your your calling is in life. Maybe some of you are searching for it, but you should know something. That this message, the message of reconciliation, the message of finding people that are lost and bringing them to know who God is, this is the main idea of everything. And all the other ministries that people do, and I'm like, yeah, they're all good and all the rest of it, but it's all still centered around this one message. All ministries are designed to support this one idea. Even when we get people to become more mature, don't get me wrong, guys, totally into discipleship, think it's a great idea, but they're already saved. And I'm trying to find people that are far from God because I know that's where his heart is. In fact, he even told us a parable about it. He left the 99 sheep that he had to go find the one that was lost. Ministry, whatever it is, it all comes back to supporting this one idea. When we get people to be mature disciples, it's so that we can teach them to come back to this one idea because this idea about finding people that are far from God and getting them to know who God is, this is the main idea. It's ministry. This is ministry. It's what it's all about. And if you hear what I'm talking about today and you think, well, I don't know if I feel like, you know, equipped. I don't know if I can, if I can do this. I want you to just totally relax about this because you should know God qualifies the cult. And you're all cult if you're a follower of Jesus, to find people that are far from him and bring them to a place where they know who God is. In fact, one of the most encouraging scriptures in the Bible is out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I think it's verse 26. He says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise by, no, uh, wise by worldly standards and not many of you were of noble birth. In other words, you are not the smartest per- person in the room and you also don't have this rich heritage and you might not have the best history and background. But hey, God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. 
That's another way of saying that if you give God the opportunity, he'll find a way to take you and to use whatever you've got to help do this ministry. I want you to notice something in this passage. Did you notice that the call to help reconcile people came after people were a new creation? It came after because God does the work in you and then it's Him that's in you. He's made the changes. He can do all things. He's in you. And then He calls you to do something that you think ordinarily might be very difficult for you to do in your own strength. I want you to notice that in the New Testament, if you read the book of Acts, Jesus says, I want you to go and preach the gospel to all creation. Okay? It's called the Great Commission, not the Great Suggestion, the Great Commission. And everyone is called to do this one thing. But did you notice something that he said, yeah, 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 you're called to do it. But look, don't even think about doing it until you're filled with the Holy Spirit, because that's what you'll need to actually complete the task that I've given to you. I want you to notice something. That when Peter, who spent most of his life with his foot in his mouth, was filled with the Holy Spirit, the next day he goes out and preaches the gospel in other languages that he didn't even speak. And thousands of people were reconciled to God in one day. Why? Because the presence of God had filled him and he made it possible for Peter to do something that he ordinarily would not have been able to do. And I kind of feel like if, people, if God did it for Peter, he can do it for you. He's so committed to the people that are far. He'll he'll make it work with you. This is ministry. It's not a job. It's not something that pastors do. This is something that people do once they've been changed by him because changed people change people. They do. Changed people change people. When you've been changed by God and you fully have embraced and understood this message, you won't be able to help it. You'll want to go out there and help someone else to find what somebody taught you. And I I get it. I I understand that God is, he, he does the work. Okay, fine. But when you heard the gospel message, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't you hear it from another human being? And so, yeah, God does the work, but Didn't you hear it audibly from a human being that made themselves available to you so that you could hear it? And how would it be if you could be a recipient of that great message, but then just not even pass it on? You might get busy building a whale. And God says, what have you been doing? You're like, I forgot between the the seat of the church and and, and the car park. I, I forgot this message. This is ministry. This is what it looks like. It looks like searching for a lost child. And when your kid is lost, you never give up searching for them until you've found them. I'll tell you something. When I first gave my life to Jesus, I know this sounds kind of silly and you can laugh at this, but when I, when I gave my life to Jesus, for 12 months I did nothing with that message. And then one day God got me. And the day that he did, I went home and I got a big, thick red text. There had an A4 piece of paper and I wrote eight words on it that changed my life. I I wrote down He died for me. I'll live for Him. Just eight words. I got that and I pinned it up on my notice board and every, every day that I would walk into my bedroom, I would see that piece of paper. He died for me. I'll live for Him. 
He gave his life for this cause so that, so that I could be close to God. The least that I could do for my Savior is to lay down my life for him and do whatever he asked, whenever he asked. It was a constant reminder to me that, yep, I got a great relationship with God, but it came at a price and it wasn't me that paid it. It was Jesus. So if he's willing to pay that price with his life, I should be willing to pay some price with mine. And I kept that notice there, that that piece of paper there. It was there for years. And I kept remembering that God did something for me and that it was my job to continue to serve him. That's, That's ministry. I don't know if that ever really changed for me, to be honest. A couple of, it was probably six months ago. It was last year I was over in, um, in America and I was thinking about this, about people that are far from God and praying that, that Activate Church would be a church that continues to reach people that are far from God. I was thinking about the people that were in our church at the time. I was praying for people and I said, God, I said, you know, I want to make sure that I'm always available for you. So God, if you would give me opportunities while I'm here, let me speak to somebody about who you are. And I prayed that message and and I went to this conference this day and I heard another message that was unscheduled, that was unscripted, but it totally transformed my life. Amazingly, it was all about reaching the lost, but it was supposed to be a leaders conference. Wasn't supposed to be preached, but I heard it and it changed my life again. And so that night I got home and I was, or back to the hotel and I was in there and I was thinking about my prayer. I said, God, I, I want to be used by you to, to do whatever you want me to do. And, and I was, but I was saying it from within the hotel room. And I thought to myself, how crazy would it be to actually say to God, Lord, use me and then never position myself for him to actually do it. And it became apparent to me that there was no way that anyone was going to find Jesus through me while I was in my hotel room. So I decided to leave and I was there by myself. So I decided, well, it's Friday night and it's about 10 o'clock. Where would I go to find people? I'm in a hotel. So I just went straight down to the bar. And I went down to the bar and it was a pastor's conference. And, and, and so there were pastors there from Australia. And I thought, I wonder what they'll think of me when they see me just sitting at the bar, just, you know. But then I thought, you know what? I don't care what they think. They already know Jesus. I'm here to find someone that doesn't know Jesus, all right? So I went down there anyway. And I sat up at the bar and I ordered a beer because it's not a sin. And so I ordered a beer and I sat there. But when I asked for that beer, somebody heard me and they said to me, hey, where are you from? This guy that was sitting next to me. And I said, I'm from Australia. And so we began to have this conversation and, and we were talking. And, and, and really the thing that I wanted to do was to get him and say, oh my gosh, God loves you. And he wants you to give your life to him. And I thought that would be so weird if I actually did that. So I did nothing like that, you know, and I don't like to make a scene in public. So, you know, I played it cool didn't even really appear that interested but the only thing I was there for was to talk to him and so I'm standing there and and or or sitting there and and he says to me like you know where are you from in Australia I said yeah I'm from you know Melbourne we're talking for a little bit I said I said to him what are you doing here in this hotel 
and he says to me, oh, well, I, I travel for work, so, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just here for work. And I said, oh, wow, me too. I said, we're both here for work. He said, yeah. I said, all right, well, what do you do for work? He said, well, he says, I'm a public speaker. And I said, are you? I said, me too. We'll get to that in a minute, but, but tell me, what do you do? He says, well, I'm a salesperson, and I train salespeople how to sell. He told me that he was exceptional. He told me that he was paid very well, and he would travel all over the country to train teams of salespeople how to communicate. I said, oh, I said, well, I'm a bit of a communicator myself. I said, but we'll get to that later. I said to him, why don't you tell me, what do you actually sell? He said, I sell life insurance. I said, oh, snap, so do I. We've got the same job. He said, wow. I said, I know. He said, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor of a church. He was like, ah, I've got you. That was smooth, right? But smooth enough to keep talking. So then he starts to ask me some questions. And the thing was, as he said, you know, I I never really talk to people about God. And and the reason is, it was because I am such a good salesperson. I mean, I'm exceptional that if I was to ask you questions, I feel like I'd be so good. Or if I was to ask people questions, I would easily talk to them out of being a Christian. I said, oh my gosh. I said, you are in so much luck because I am the kind of person that you could never convince. So you could literally, this is your lucky day. I'm serious. You could ask me any question with no fear of ever convincing me. So what would you like to know? Well, an hour and a half we're talking. He thought he was an atheist. He was so wrong about that. And we just kept talking about what he really and actually believed. And the whole time that we're talking, there's this lady on the other side of the bar. She's making all these like flirty eyes at him. Like, hey. And, and, and so I don't know if that's how they do it. But anyway, like, so I don't really, it's not my thing. So anyway, um, so she's making all these eyes at him and trying to get his attention. But the whole time he sees her, but he's fixated in this conversation with me. Because why would he want to flirt with some chick on the other side of the bar when he could talk to me about Jesus? For an hour and a half, he ignored her and everyone else in the room to have a conversation about Jesus. And I realized something people really do want to know, but they're looking for people that are willing to talk to them about who God is. They want to know. They want to know who he is. They want to know. And we have been entrusted with that message to pass on to other people. And I'm telling you right now, I listened to everything that he said and I know that I could have highlighted all of our differences, but I remembered one thing. Church is not a place for good people and it's not a place for bad people. We are all saved by the same grace. So I could have highlighted our differences, but the truth is I have so much in common with him because I have made so many mistakes in my life and so has he and we are saved by the same grace. And so here's what I thought I would do tonight. I thought that I would consider asking you a very important question. And I was going to say to you, why don't you consider focusing in on this message for 2018, the, the, the message of reconciliation. Why don't you consider making that a focus for you this year? But I thought, no, 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 that's a terrible idea because, because they'll forget. I thought maybe I should say you should focus on it in the next month, but I thought, nah, plenty of people will forget. So I thought, here's what I would do. I would ask you 
if you would make a decision tonight to commit to the ministry this week. This week. That this week, not next week. Next week's too late. The next time we're sitting here and I see in your faces, it's too late. The, the window is closed. What I'm asking you to do is this week. Would you commit to doing the thing, the one thing that God has asked you to do, which is to tell people about this life-changing message. And I want to pray for anybody that wants to make that decision to share that message. So why don't you do this? Could you stand to your feet? And as you're doing that, please listen to this. Tonight, I don't need your encouragement. So don't put up your hand and say, yeah, I'll do that because everyone else is doing it because I'm not interested in that. Like in all honesty, I... To be honest, I just want to pray for people that say, I will be available for God this week. He died for me, I'll live for him. This week, I'm going to find someone and I'm going to give them this life-changing message. We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.